You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And Frank, I'm not really sure where we're going to go today. I think this is kind of a, a, I don't want to say a free day, but a day where we get to kind of go in whatever direction that we want to go. The Bucks obviously had off today on Wednesday. Uh, they play in Portland tomorrow night on Thursday, or I guess tonight as you're listening probably to this on a Thursday. So we'll preview that game in a little bit. Um, but first, I, I, just how's life? How are you doing, man? You know, I'm, I'm on the road, uh, which isn't ideal, but you know, I was just kind of looking over stats and it just sort of hit me again. I, I was just looking at the Bucks, and it kind of hit me that the Milwaukee Bucks have a 22-year-old player who's averaging 30 points, 10 rebounds, or something assists, <laughs> like two steals, two blocks. Um, I mean, I haven't checked. I haven't done the whole BRAF basketball reference search to see if anybody has ever put up the stats that Giannis has put up. I'm guessing not in the history of the NBA. Like, that's just sort of the kind of, like, rarefied air Giannis has been in over the last year or so. Like, you know, nobody since we've been collecting blocks and steals data and I think in the seventies, um, nobody's really done what he, what he does in terms of doing all the stuff he does. And I know everybody appreciates and loves Giannis and he, he might have like the highest approval rating. If you like, look at like maybe, maybe even league wide, but, but certainly among like a fan base, I don't know if any fan base loves Giannis or loves a, any of their players as much as Bucks fans love Giannis. I feel like he's got just like a perfect hundred percent, approval rating and he should um but I, I still feel like we should just take a moment and say good freaking god is Giannis incredible and what he's doing I mean again is he going to average 29.7 points the rest of the season I don't Maybe. know but he's not going to average 21 points per game he's you know he he's in just an incredible elite you know uh I don't know. He's he's just like, there are only a few guys that you can even talk about being better than him at the game of basketball right now in the world. And, um, you know, again, if uh, I think the MVP talk is cool just because the bucks haven't been that good, but certainly it hasn't had anything to do with, you know, where Giannis is at an overall level. Maybe the points have come down a little bit, but I mean, geez, Giannis, thank you. (laughs) Praise Giannis. It's crazy, and and I know I've mentioned this from time to time, but like, just his ability one to get to the rim, his ability to finish at the rim. Like even when he's cold at the rim, like he had been there uh, until the Kings game, where obviously everything was just so easy. But even when he had like off games, I was like, man, I'm complaining about this dude having an off game, and it was still a game that what three years ago I would have like that would have been the dream. 
wait, Giannis scored 21 points and he was doing all these amazing things. That's so awesome. That's so great. Uh, and yeah, he, he is he's truly something else. And I was going to, I was thinking about it last night when you kind of brought it up again, but like with as logical and cool and calm as you are, Frank, like you are actively making sure Giannis gets every single one of his stats. Like I'm like a kid. I'm I am like a kid when I like I was I was a kid who collected basketball cards. I religiously like looked at stats and memorized my favorite player stats and stuff like that and Giannis keeps me young and <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But like I was just thinking about that like I've had so many conversations with you over the last, I don't know, 3 four years and you're just such a logical thinker thinker and then when it comes to Giannis it's like nope I gotta make sure Giannis gets that that assist like I have to I gotta make sure and I don't know it I think it speaks to just kind of what kind of basketball player he is and all the incredible things that he can do that it does kind of turn you into a kid yeah Guilty as charged. Um, and, I mean, he's leading the NBA in, in PER right now. Um, his RPM is, is actually not great right now, which is kind of interesting, but it's early in the season, and RPM is a super noisy stat um, given just the way it's calculated. So so we'll kind of see. Ironically, his box score plus minus, which is basically an estimated impact of his impact in terms of like points per 100 possessions, um, it's actually – Exactly, exactly the same as it was a year ago, plus 7.5 points per 100, um, which is kind of interesting, mainly because his defensive box score plus minus has gone down. And I haven't really looked into the details of it. I mean, his defensive stats are still excellent in terms of blocking shots and grabbing steals and all that. So I think there's a um, component there that's like basically team defense that is probably bringing that number down. So one more reason to hope that the Bucks turn it around a little bit defensively because we need to make Giannis' stats look that much better obviously that <laughs> obviously those things also go into uh rpm which is also has a you know, obviously it goes into play-by-play data and plus minus and things like that so um there are there are areas where Giannis's unbelievable stats could be even better but um i mean if you had told me five years ago that we would have a player on this team doing the historic levels of things that he's doing i mean i would have just said screw you like nice <laughs> Nice things don't happen to us, Bucks fans. <laughs> How Come dare on. you tease me with something like that? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, we'll get another All Star like Michael Red that one year. <laughs> so anyway, shout out to Giannis. We start. We got it. We got to like every few weeks. We have to at least just pause and just say, "Have mercy, Giannis." Thank you. I want to do some more shout outs. Uh, shout out to Ben Miller, uh, who just randomly walked up to me at a bar on Saturday when I was watching the Badgers game. He's like. You Eric name. He's like, I feel like I've been listening to you talk and it sounds like the voice I listen to every day on Lockdown Box. And I was like, okay, um, not quite sure how to handle that, but yes, and appreciate it. So Ben Miller, shout out to you. And then uh, my friend Andrew Wagner, who's obviously a journalist here in Milwaukee, was talking about how he was at uh, a holiday fair and he had a couple guys from Poland talk to him about the Bucks, and... They started talking, and they're like, oh, yeah, we try to keep up with them as much as possible and, like, read your articles and then, like, read all their articles. And then we listened to that podcast with, like, the guy from ESPN and, like, you know, they're, like, kind of nerdy sometimes. And Andrew was like, 
oh eric and frank and he, they're like yeah that's them so shout out to our homies from poland i didn't get names uh but shout out to you guys for listening we really appreciate it it's very nice of you and and we'll take nerdy i'm okay with it yeah i'll, I'll allow it i think I, it could have been worse than nerdy so i was pretty cool with that oh yeah um, yeah, yeah yeah way worse <laughs> You know those two really annoying guys that I don't really want to listen to, but they're they're there every day, so I still download. No, uh, so shout out to all you guys and shout out to all of our listeners for uh, just feeling like you want to share the good word of LOB. We appreciate it, and uh, I need to look at my draft league. Did you win, Frank? Am I winning? Uh, I, I I picked Porzingis tonight, and he like destroyed his ankle like three minutes into the game. So I just I know I'm losing tonight because my like second or third pick is going to get basically no points. So I, I haven't even looked since that, but um, I'm going to blame that for my inevitable loss tonight. That's a, that's a great idea. I was deciding between Anthony Davis and Boogie Cousins. I'm happy I picked Boogie Cousins because Anthony Davis got ejected early tonight, uh, but Carl Anthony Towns was trash. Devin Booker was meh. Spencer did witty solid night. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm in fourth. Our money is going to be taken. But just a reminder, you can take our money on draft if you want to. Uh, we'll do it next Wednesday. We always do it. And we've been getting a number of the same people in our leagues. Uh, so one, good on them for hanging out and following us and making sure that they get the chance to take our money. Uh, but <laughs> any of you that also want to take our money like come come do it uh it's very easy just download draft and then you can actually follow us on draft i'm eric underscore name and frank is locked on frank i believe uh yep. so you, you can follow us there and then you will get it you, you can get a notification on your phone that says hey take frank and eric's money um and you can do that whenever we make a draft league. So make sure you guys are doing that. Frank, one thing I wanted to talk about today before we preview the Blazers game is Zach Lowe did a podcast today with Rachel Nichols. And I made a joke about it during the game last night because Rachel tweeted out uh, a picture of of Zach's scribbled notes. Um, and one, I, you couldn't read anything. But there did appear to be... One thing on the bottom that was, it, it looked like trade ideas, and one appeared to be uh, KM, MT, and gibberish. Uh, so I assume that was Chris Middleton, Mirza Teletovich, and gibberish. What what did that end up being on the podcast, Frank? Yeah, so, and I hesitate to say that, that Zach Lowe was endorsing this idea, but he, he I think he put it out there under the qualifier of that this could get a deal done for DeAndre Jordan, who um, with the Clippers now looking at two months out with uh, or without Blake Griffin uh, hurting his knee the other night with Patrick Beverly out for the season. Um, shout out to Patrick Beverly, uh, one of my wife's personal favorites, even though he's no longer a Houston Rocket. By the way, to our friend Dan Schaefer, did you know that my wife is a Houston Rockets fan? Um <laughs> Yeah, that was a little inside Twitter joke because Ben or Dan was noting that I bring that up like every other podcast. But, um, but yeah, so the Clippers are in bad shape right now. They've had a lot of injuries. Uh, Teodosic has basically been out since like well, the second game of the season. I mean, they're, they're just, yeah, they're in rough shape. And DeAndre Jordan can opt out um, this summer. So I, I don't know. I mean, they're like they still have Blake and Gallinari. I mean, it, it's kind of hard to say like oh just blow up the team because you'd have to do a lot to just to really sort of tear it down uh, entirely. Uh, but 
DeAndre and also Bomber is kind of a loon. Like. Yeah, so I mean, I don't, I don't know what Bomber wants to do, right? So it's, it's kind of interesting to kind of think about. But I mean, to be honest, when they signed Blake to that big deal last summer, one of my immediate thoughts was, well, they might as well because you know they, they were capped out. They weren't going to go sign anybody. They weren't inevitably going to go get you know a, a high pick or whatever. So they might as well at least get Blake, and then he's an asset in theory, if he can stay healthy and keep doing yeah. things and maybe they just trade him eventually. So um, anyway, but DeAndre sounds like he will be available at some point. Makes sense given he can walk and, and go someplace else next summer. I don't know what the likelihood of that is. I won't pretend to, but um, certainly you can the understand. The Clippers may very well lock him in a house as well. They could do that again. That, that's, they could do that again. That's a thing that's happened. So yeah. that's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, that that may be. I mean, different people would have to be doing the lot. I feel like Patrick Beverly <laughs> would be a better person to have. Do. Oh yeah, he'd be very yeah, good at better it. Better than like JJ Redick. Um, but but yeah. So Zach <laughs> threw out the idea of KM Chris Middleton, and at which point I'm already like gulping and like not feeling good about where this is going. Um, Mirza Toladovich, largely for kind of salary matching, send out some, at least some bad salary in the deal for the Bucks' perspective and a first round pick. And again, it's kind of complicated because the Bucks obviously have a protected first round pick in the Suns deal that we don't know when it's going to convey exactly. Um, but that's obviously kind of complicates everything because it also limits how easily they can move another first round pick because you know you can't be uh, you can't have traded two straight first round picks that are in, out in the future due to the the stepian rule uh, that the NBA has. So I don't know how they would even structure that, but bottom line, that was kind of what he threw out there for DeAndre Jordan. And my first reaction was, no, like <laughs> I mean, for, first off, I don't know if that makes you better this year, period. I mean, DeAndre yeah. is, is not getting better. He's still very good. Um, you know, the Bucks' obvious weakness at this point is, well, besides their bench, is the center position, right? They don't have anybody, obviously, who's as good as DeAndre Jordan. Um, their rebounding is obviously not great. I would note that when everybody talks about them being the worst rebounding team in the league, that is largely driven by their offensive rebounding being essentially indifferent to even trying. But um, they're obviously not great defensively either. That's been a long-term problem. So DeAndre obviously would give you a shot in the arm there. Um, he's obviously not a spacer, but he has gravity, as we were discussing before this podcast, because he's such a good rim roller. So, um, yes, DeAndre Jordan would be a nice upgrade at center, of course. But, I mean, I don't know if he makes you better this year even, because Jabari's not going to come in and suddenly like replace what Chris Middleton does. And, I mean... If DeAndre Jordan just like walks in the summer, like Jesus, Whew. you just freaking like blew up, you know, two great assets and Chris Middleton and a future first round pick for what? Maybe making the second round this year, which you might have been able to do anyway. I don't know. That I'm again, I don't know if Zach was, you know, really endorsing that so much as just suggesting that that could get a deal done. Um, and he, but he, it's important to note he was pretty firm that he feels that the Clippers will get value if they do move DeAndre. So I don't know. But again, I view DeAndre as like, you know, given his age, given that he can walk and he does have a player option, but he is sounds like he's likely to opt out. Um, I just view him as a guy that 
I would give up like maybe one good asset for. Like I, I thought whenever I've heard DeAndre, I always assume that people will go to like Jabari Parker as being the potential yeah. like make weight Jabari plus c- contract filler. Um, since obviously the Bucks may not want to really have to confront paying Jabari anyway and don't have like an obvious starting spot for him either way. So, so that was what I thought, but um, kind of the Middleton first round pick angle seemed not great. Yeah. Um, I just think that's too much <laughs> for, uh, let's see, 60, uh, how far are we in? 60, we're 11 games in, so a 61 game rental. Like, ugh, that's a whole lot to give up. And it's not just Middleton, but it's also Middleton and a first rounder. And I mean, honestly, as, as much as you would just say Mirza is there for filler, like, also, the Bucks are shooting five less threes per game since Mirza Toledovic has been out. Like, if there's one undeniable thing that he does, it is get up threes, uh, and that's something that they've at least missed to some extent uh, during his injury. So, like, there's three things, two undeniably in Middleton and a first rounder, and then a third in Mirza that could help your team um, and could help your team significantly. So, I just just in my head thinking of Middleton for DeAndre Jordan like I don't I don't know if I'd want to do that and I mentioned it to you before the podcast but I just don't know how much I love making one of my big three big four whatever you're going to need to win a championship a a center even in the scenario where you do make that trade and then in the scenario where you are also able to convince DeAndre Jordan to sign in Milwaukee do you want that? Like that doesn't that doesn't seem like a positive thing to me. And I know I've expressed some concern over Middleton's next contract, but that's two years from now, not this summer. And also, I'd probably am okay with paying an aging Chris Middleton more than I am paying an aging DeAndre Jordan. And I, I think I probably can get Chris Middleton for cheaper than DeAndre Jordan. Uh, so. There's just a lot there that I I do not like. Um, I just think it's too much, and I don't. And again, I understand where because right after the Bledsoe trade, there was a number of people that were like, "Well, do the Bucks do the Bucks need to pick up another center?" And I, I was quick to say, "No, you don't need to pick up another center." I can understand wanting a better center. Like I get that desire. Like you want someone better than Thom Maker or John Henson. That I totally understand, but to add a third center into the mix when the league is getting smaller and then to make the center position one of the positions that you need star production at, like that just seems like a scary bet to me. Yeah, I mean, we've been, um, I guess, alternately um, bemoaning and uh, observing uh, more of late because the Bucks have gotten rid of all their high-priced centers other than John Henson, but... Um, but looking at you know, hey man, the, the, there there seems like there is some inefficiency from a from a, the standpoint of you can be a really good team and not pay a ton of money for a center these days. That yeah. seems like a thing. Um, now you know you could argue a team like Boston, their Al Horford plays a lot of center, but he's not actually starting at center. Um, they're starting, you know, Aaron Baines a lot of the time now, and you know they've got Daniel Tice sort of playing center at times, and you know, so so that's actually you know actually winds up being an argument for it. Um, the Cavs obviously have 
been very strange in the res- in, in terms of you know what they've done at the center position with Kevin Love actually playing a lot of center, even though you know nobody really thinks of Kevin Love as a center. Um, and obviously Golden State being the best example, they have so much firepower at the other positions that they basically just say, you know what, eh, we'll pay Zaza and and David West, you know, a couple million bucks a year, and and they'll go out and and do just dirty work and whatever, you know. It's fun. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's it's interesting. I I would also kind of lean towards. Not paying a ton of money for centers for for kind of those reasons you mentioned. I think there is enough. There are enough centers out there who do enough stuff. Like I think you can still get, um, you know, value from a, a lower volume, more defensively focused guy um, without paying twenty five million dollars a year. That I would just rather try to go that route just because. The rest of this roster is going to be expensive. Giannis is obviously cheap relative to what he does, but he's you know he still takes up over twenty million a year. You're going to have to figure out what you do with Chris Middleton. You're going to have to figure out what you do with Jabari Parker. You have to figure out what you do with Eric Bledsoe, right? And yep. um, in a lot of ways, I I can talk myself into spending money at you know point guard and the wing a lot more easily than I can um, at center, um, which I agree it's understandable to say well, but look at your starting five like. You know, Snell is obviously low volume, but he fits well. And then you've got three, you got like just really good players, and one's including one a superstar. And then you've got John Henson question mark. Um, <laughs> and you know, as all the bar, our friend at all the bucks on Twitter pointed out today, of the five best offensive lineups in the NBA that have played more than 100 minutes, two of them are Bucks lineups, um, and both of them involve John Henson. Uh, if I recall, I believe the the there's a third one with Thon Maker that's been good, but has I don't think they've actually played 100 minutes yet. So um, they've been able to do a lot with John Henson. I don't know how long that lasts. Um, there's been I think those lineups have had some crazy like three point shooting percentages that they've put up. Um, but either way, uh, there's an obvious opportunity here. Like, can you get a better center who can improve? maybe your defense as well. Cause John Henson obviously is not a perfect defensive center. He's obviously far from a perfect offensive center. Um, yeah. so I think there's an opportunity there, but yeah, I, I, I am also kind of of that feeling of, you know, I'm okay sort of investing less money in the center position. And then also, I don't know, still holding out some hope that maybe Thon's perimeter shooting plus mobility can somehow also turn into something that, you know, is more than just a 15 minute per game guy. And again, this, what we've seen this season does not make you more optimistic about Thon maker being the center of the future in Milwaukee, but I haven't closed the book on that quite yet. Yeah. I think there, there's plenty of, of cause for concern, things that you would want him to be doing better. But yeah, I think you still hold out some hope there and, it's just the the way that we see the the league trending. It's it's as I think about those next contracts. It's like man, do I? I think I just live. I, I think I can live with giving out a bad contract to Jabari on the wing, to Chris on the wing, or to Bloodsweat point guard. Like I think I can live with all those. I don't know if I can forgive myself in the same way for signing up a big for a long-term contract that might end up being bad. Um, and again, well, I'm we, not trying also, to sign also, any bad contracts. That's not my right. goal. Uh, but 
at the same time, like I would probably uh, just with the way the league is trending, it's trending smaller. So putting money in those guys seems to make sense to me. Well, and we also went through the Miles Plumley contract experience, so we we also like have kind of a gag reflex when it comes to uh, something <laughs> signing bigs up to big deals. Yeah, yeah. I, I would totally agree. And also, I, I think we can just kind of hit on this other stuff right now too. Um, but it, it's. These are questions that we've received. I think we've already handled Jaleel Okafor, right? Yeah, we already um, talked about just, Jaleel Okafor and how we're not really interested. Yeah. I mean, and that, and that, we can just move on. Yeah, we don't need to discuss bottom, it. Yeah, we don't need to rehash line, it. The Bucks should be at least pretty good offensively, right? Like they don't need like with the second with yeah. with their they're always going to have at least Chris Middleton on the court. They're always going to have Chris or Giannis. They're always going to have Brogdon or Bledsoe on the on the court. Like, is pounding the ball inside to a Jaleel Okafor type? Like, is that the is that going to just like totally change and make the Bucks this great offensive team in in these second units that haven't been great so far? Like, like no. really? And it's not going to be like just a massive negative on the defense? No, like I, w- no, like I just I'm just not interested. Not worth it. Okay, so let's move on to Marcus All. Then obviously we talked about the Fizdale firing earlier this week, and obviously Gasol is a name that keeps getting kind of tossed around because. I, one, I don't know if anyone knows what Memphis is doing. Maybe this is just the sign of the start of the rebuild and they're going to go in a different direction. But if that would have been the case, I think you keep Fizdale and then trade away Gasol. Um, so maybe this is them pushing all in. Maybe it's not. But if Gasol's on the market, same deal as you mentioned before. Middleton, a first, in Toledovich. Does that interest you at all? Again, not really. Um, and Gasol's interesting, right? Because... On some level, it's like, man, a big, like, not super mobile center, like, that isn't theoretically that interesting. But Gasol's been so good defensively for so long. When we're talking about a former defensive player of the year, like, it's not like you can just, it's not like, you know, if he was just a guy that you could put in pick and rolls and just kill teams with or kill the Grizzlies with, I mean, people would have figured that out, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, he can play, but the problem is he's almost 33. Um, the fact that he's embraced shooting threes now, um, obviously is encouraging because it makes his offense, you know, when combined with his excellent passing, feel like it can age more gracefully and For know, sure. be a bit more dynamic, especially, you know, when we think about what do you, who you want to pair with Giannis, obviously DeAndre Jordan does not shoot threes and, and most centers that you're going to get are not going to shoot threes. Like, you know, if that's your, 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 your requirement, then, there just aren't many guys out there that are going to do that. Um, this year, on almost five attempts a game, Gasol's down to 32.2% from three. Last year was 39%. Um, so obviously he has talent out there. He can stretch the floor a bit. Um, and he's uh, he's upped his rebounding significantly this year. He's up to you know over nine boards a game, um, and especially defend the defensive glass. I think that was always something I thought was a little bit weird, was that his defensive rebounding wasn't great. And maybe some of that was, you know, he's a position guy and, you know, the team's not that bad defensive rebounding, but, um, but I don't know. I think the, the big thing with me is just the age and the contract, you know, I mean, yep. he's a guy that he's got a player option, I think going into the summer of 2019 that he'd have to decide on. And, you know, he's still looking at, you know, is he going to turn on $25 million a year at that point? I doubt it. Um, because at that point he's going to be going on 34, going on 35 in the year 2020. Um, so, yeah, it's tough. I mean, that would that clearly would be a move that is about the next couple years. And you know, again, I don't mind the Bucks wanting to be good now because Giannis is so damn good already that I don't want to just punt on these next two years. But 
I mean, Eric Bledsoe is turning, what, 28, right? That's different than Gasol turning 33. And um, as much as they may age differently, um, man, he's owed so much money that I just don't know. I don't know if that's the kind of guy I want to give up a lot for. And the other thing, too, is I just, you know, I mean, they just fired David Fizdale. Are they really going to go out and, and sell off Marcus Gasol? on a deal Seems that Bucks fans would be able to feel good about. I just don't see it. So I think Gasol just doesn't seem like a guy you're going to be able to get at a good price. So that's another big P reason why I'm not like going to spend time on the trade machine trying to construct Marcus Gasol trades. I am out for many of the reasons you listed and then the same reasons that I, I don't love a DeAndre Jordan trade. And again, just betting on bigs isn't something that I'm really all that interested in, um, especially when you see from year to year just kind of some some bargain bin bigs give teams solid minutes. And uh, I just think that would probably be closer to the way that I would go. And I have always enjoyed watching Gasol play, like just watching his passing. And honestly, if this coaching staff is still around and you ever want to run elbow and corner series, whew, yeah, that might be the big for you. Uh, no one, no one is bumping him to the three point line. Like they do with John Henson and Thon maker. Like he is going to be at the elbow. Um, and those passes become easier. And obviously he's a very talented and gifted passer. Uh, you mentioned all of the, the good things he does defensively as well. So there's really a lot to like there, but uh, I just, like you said, contracts too big. He's a little bit too old, and again, I, I just don't want to bet on big. So I am out on that. Well, and and as you say that, I mean, think about the finals last year. If Marcus Sol had been on either the Warriors or the Cleveland Cavaliers, as good as he is, and as much as he is better than any of the centers that were in that series, he's not on the would, floor. Yeah, would he have been off the floor during long, long? If he wasn't, he'd be and, pretty damn close. And the mere fact that we can suggest that is pretty scary, you know, not just for Gasol, but, you know, as you're saying, for kind of just the future of the center position. Um, I, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, again, like Joel Embiid, if he stays healthy, is going to be a force for a long time in the East at center position. I'm, I'm I, you know, guys like that, like, yeah, you're going to, they will be on the court, right? They make such a big difference. Um, but Marcus Gasol is not, you know, 23-year-old Joel Embiid. He's not either, that. No. Uh, for better or worse. He does have some injury issues as well. Missed time last year with a foot injury, um, which is another big concern. But um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I I feel I feel a little bit cheap because I don't know. Like I'm not banging on, on tables to go pick up any specific center. And I feel like I'm almost like being just too lazy, not trying to think of some center the Bucks could go and get <laughs> because clearly... John Henson and Thon Maker are, you know, not going to carry the Bucks uh, very far, just you know, or, or contribute a lot from the center position. Like clearly, the Bucks. How could dare do, you? Yeah, well, clearly the Bucks could do a lot better there. Um, but I don't know when you think about like, well, giving up real assets to, you know, make a big addition at the center position. Um, I, I don't know that that does kind of scare me a little bit. And you know, maybe your best center on this court, you know, especially as you think about. Um, the future and competing at a really high level, you know, for long stretches of some of these of big playoff games, Giannis Adetokounmpo may be your best center on this roster. Yep. And I mean, just thinking back to that finals, but there was all those sequences where it was LeBron and Durant were the biggest guys on the floor. Like those were the guys that were playing center and Giannis can very much fit that same mold. Um, just a matter of using him in that way and, and believing in going small. So uh, we'll see what happens there, but that was kind of the newsy ish thing of the day. But um 
again, not something that we were all that interested in. Now, on to the Portland Trailblazers. Um, I think the Portland Trailblazers are really interesting this year because they are probably not the team you think they are. Like, they're 13-8, and eight, and if you don't watch a lot of Blazers basketball, you're probably like, oh, man. You know what? They're probably, probably just lighting it up, just killing it on offense, but that isn't the case. <laughs> this is a team that is somehow 20th in offensive rating and third in defensive rating. I'm not sure which one of those is more surprising to me, but I do know both of them are surprising. Uh, so so they're 20th in offense, third in defense, uh, 19th in pace, and again, they're out to a 13-8 and record, and they're shooting let's see the third fewest threes in the league they have the third fewest or the third lowest excuse me three point attempt rate so this is a team that you think you know about the portland trailblazers but that is not how they've been winning this year yeah and it's interesting looking at their data and and i think we talked about this uh, the last time these teams played that you know you think about them being this great shooting team but they don't really have guys that like go park in the corner and and really scare you from three point range, especially with Alan Crabb gone. You know Evan Turner's still around. I think um, Al uh, Farouk Alamino's been hurt a lot, um, and yep. he's obviously not maybe been the most consistent guy. But um, looking at cleaningtheglass.com, they have them as the I believe the dead last in terms of corner three frequency and second to last in corner three percentage um, made. So. Well, I don't want to jinx the box, but at least that's a very good sign. Um, yeah. In terms of all threes, they are 27th in terms of the frequency of threes they shoot. Um, they have been much better. They're they're actually the best team in the league at converting non-corner threes. So basically above the break threes, that's the longer three-point shot. Which makes court. sense when you think about their players. Like Lillard right. is going to shoot a bunch above the break. McCollum's going to shoot a bunch above yep. the break. Like Their three-point shooters are their two main guys, and those are going to be off the dribble and above the break. Well, and then they, they do have guys like, I know Pat Connaughton has had a couple good games lately. Um, and they, I think there was a run in the last, in the, in the first Bucks-Blazers game where he had a couple threes. Uh, but they're they're not the normal team to like their three point usage isn't all that normal isn't all that typical um, when we think about the way that the modern NBA tries to shoot threes. Yeah, and similar story on defense. This is a team, and you know I think back. I remember a few years ago when Terry Stotts was you know really starting to establish himself as one of the league's better coaches. You know a lot of the talk about the Blazers' defense was well they don't double team if you go in the post. They'll just let you go in the post and they'll just live with whatever you do in the post. And, you know, at the time there was a lot of the thought was, you know, and it kind of makes sense. And obviously we draw this uh, contrast with the Bucks a lot that um, they're, they're just going to live with that because they don't want to collapse. They don't want to give you opportunities to move the ball around and get open threes. And sure enough, you look at the frequency of three pointers they allow the last six seasons. This as a team that has been the top eight in terms of the you know, ratio of three pointers they allow relative to all their shots. So they just don't give up many threes. They're first in the league this year in terms of the frequency of corner threes they allow. They were second last year. Um, they were in the top 10 the previous four years as well. So both in the corner as well as 
above the break threes. They just don't allow many of those shots. And that obviously, I mean, this is a team that has been very inconsistent defensively over the past few years. But from like just, you know, a, a shot chart perspective, that's obviously a great start. You know, you're just not philosophically. Up, it, yeah, it makes just, a lot of sense. Exactly. You're just not giving up many threes. And um, they're also a team that in spite of the fact that like, oh, well, you know, you say, well, if you're not going to double guys around the basket in the post, then, well, you know, they're going to they're going to go to work on you. Well, they're first in the league in lowest percentage allowed at the rim this year, 54.6. They were first in the league last year and they were third the year before that. Um, so they're a team that uh, has been good at protecting the rim. They've been a team that's been good at protecting the three point line or at least um, limiting your shots there, which we always talk about being the you know the most important thing you can do given the noise around um, three point accuracy from from opponents and um, so yeah it's it's been interesting. I mean this year they've they have certainly benefited from the fact that um, teams have not made um, uh, actually I'm sorry I was just looking at the wrong um, they've benefited from the fact that teams have not made uh, really a high percentage of of corner threes or above the break threes and they're fourth in the league in defending the three-point line quote-unquote defending the three-point line again opponent percentage isn't that easy to control they're at 33.7 percent bucks are what six or seven percent worse than that so yeah. substantially worse and we'll be interesting to see kind of where those numbers evolve to because look the blazers last year were dead last and the year before they were dead last in terms of above the break three defense allowed um, almost 39% on both. They were bottom three in in all three-point opponent percentage the last two two years before that. So anyway, interesting to kind of note and, and see that um, because obviously those are things that we, we talk about a fair bit and you can just look at them. They've been all over the place in terms of the opponent three-point percentage allowed. So so yeah, it's, it's not necessarily the team that, I don't know, we think about the Blazers normally being. Like I feel like in my head, I think of Blazers as a good offense and like ugh, not great defensive team. Um, yep. and, and obviously a lot of that is, is shaped by the way we think of their, you know, their best being guards who aren't defensively. Um, but, you know, to Terry Scott's credit, they've been able to do some things maybe you wouldn't expect them to be able to do uh, defensively. But also eh, offensively, this is a team that could still improve a lot. So um, it will definitely be interesting to see what is real and maybe what is less sustainable with this team moving forward. Um, but, hey, this is a team that the Bucks have already beaten once and, Obviously, if they were able to do it again uh, on Thursday, repeat what they did last year when they went into Portland and got a, a much-needed win on a road trip, um, it would obviously be a huge step, certainly a much more meaningful win. Uh, a one-point win in Portland would be an infinitely more meaningful win than a 25-point win in Sacramento. But um, again, <laughs> to beat this team twice in a season, not the easiest thing to do. Yeah, and you look back at that last game, 44 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, and 2 blocks on 17 of 23 shooting, 9 of 13 free throw shooting. That was Giannis Dedekumbo's night against them last time. Like They struggled mightily attempting to cover him. And uh, obviously that was kind of the night where everyone just circled and said like, okay, there's there's an MVP candidate right there. And obviously after that game, we talked about the end of the game stretch where he steals it from Lillard. He pokes it out from a column. He blocks uh, Nurkic at the, at the, at the rim. And that was just kind of the, the night where everyone decided that, Oh yeah, Giannis is an MVP candidate this season. Uh, so I, I'll be very curious to see what they try to do against him this time. Um, 
Alfredo Camino was playing in that game, uh, and he's returning from injury, but he, he wasn't all that helpful uh, against Giannis. So how they try to defend him is going to be, uh, I think, a, a big part of this. And like you said, they they do a nice job at the rim, but they didn't do such a nice job at the rim against Giannis. And uh, they do try to, to stay away from sending help, but um, I, I know in that game we saw Nurkic get Giannis at the rim once one time, and I'm almost curious if you're going to see uh, Nurkic shade that way a, a little bit more than maybe the Blazers normally do against Giannis. So um, I just think it's going to be a really interesting game because even with that huge night from Giannis, like th- that was a game where you felt like the Bucks had it won, then they blew it, and then... Giannis came back and made some amazing plays and and ended up helping the Bucks win that one. So um, I just think two very changed teams from that moment in time. Um, at that moment, the Bucks are after that one they're two and one, uh, and Giannis just had a huge game and everything's working for Brogdon and Middleton's uh, struggling still. But that was kind of a game where he started to get things going, and I, I don't know. The, the Bucks are a very different team now, and I just think there's so much interesting stuff going on with them right now. How does Brogdon start to figure things out? Because he has really struggled since Bledsoe has been in town. Um, I know I pointed that out in my article, but he's he's not shooting the ball well. He's not assisting like he was, and he had a, a solid-ish game against the Kings, but again, it was against the Kings, and um, that's not really a, a meaningful sample I, w- I wouldn't say so um how does brogdon get going do they find a way to get anything going with the bench units how does blood so help out on lillard do the bucks play the same defense as they played against the kings yeah. um that that to me is going to be i think maybe that's my number one question that after five minutes are we seeing the Bucks move back to trapping and it, it, this would be a night where that's very attractive like playing Lillard and McCollum in that way is very attractive. And they did it in that first game where they sent Henson at Lillard and McCollum a lot. And and they did really try to get the ball in their hands and kind of deal with that in scramble. So if you're ever looking for kind of a team, again, they don't shoot all the corner threes, but they do have that kind of high ball screen heavy action that would force the Bucks into some of that trapping and hard hedging and then that scramble mode if they choose to play defense that way. So I'm not, I don't want to say I don't, I'm not. I haven't been this excited for a Bucks game in a long time, but I just think I haven't been this intrigued about a Bucks game in a long time because that's such a huge question. Like, are the changes that they made real? Uh, and are they willing to stick with it, even if that means in the first quarter they struggle with communication and they give up 30-plus points to the Blazers? Or is, is it immediately just right back to kind of what we've seen for the first uh, for the first three years of Jason Kidd's tenure? Yeah, it will be interesting. I mean, we, we mentioned after that first game, you know, the, the Bucks were able to prevent the, the Blazers from really even shooting, I think, more than one or two threes in the entire fourth quarter yep. um, in Milwaukee. And obviously this is a team because the guys with the ball are the guys who shoot threes so well. And, you know, the, the kind of guys who would end up taking shots late in the clock if you move the ball around and get it out of their hands are, are not really great shooters. Um, this is a team where the Bucks sort of defensive style, probably, you know, the, the, the traditional Bucks defensive style the last couple of years probably doesn't hurt you you as much. So, I don't know. We'll we'll see kind of which way they go. I mean, at this point, obviously, nothing would would surprise us. <laughs> no. um, 
but either way, uh, you know, worth noting, uh, 538 has the Bucks at, I believe, 30% likely to win. So, again, this is not an easy win, um, you know, or not an easy win or not even a probable win, given the way the Blazers have been playing. And, again, you know, one one blowout win in Sacramento certainly doesn't change um, the Bucks from, uh, you know, a meh. Uh, team overall in terms of you know point differential all that stuff doesn't doesn't turn that around doesn't paper over a lot of the struggles they've had but again you know every game is an opportunity to start showing that you are improved and that you're going to start living up to some of the expectations so um we'll we'll have to see how they how they adapt and uh, i think it'll be interesting to see how the blazers are able to contain Giannis. given um we saw just a lot of evan turner just you know flapping his arms and and just praying that he could stop hoping Giannis. for the best yeah. hoping for the best and and obviously giving Giannis a lot of room um to operate and, and Giannis managing to pretty much just destroy him uh the way he really hasn't destroyed any team uh previously with 44 points so uh I think box basketball yeah always always something to look forward to right absolutely and we'll see what they can do in this one against the Blazers obviously I think it'd be pretty big to come home to Milwaukee on Saturday night two games over 500 with a chance to go three games over 500 and the Sacramento Kings in town. Like, and I'll, and I'll be in town. I'm going to town for that game. So Frank Madden in the building. Well, I had to pick, uh, I had to pick a game, obviously that I had a high confidence level. The bucks would win. So, um, <laughs> I guess that might be the ultimate jinx. I just played on the Bucks, but, uh, I, at this point, come on, you, you got to take care of the Kings. Now, I don't know about the Blazers, but you got to be able to take care of the goddamn Kings at home. Yeah, that'd be pretty brutal. So if they lose, I'm definitely blaming it on you. Um, but that is going to be it for us for tonight. For Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow night after the game.